I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. The story of one of the uh, more than 100,000 home children Britain sent here between 1869 and 1948 is told in a new book, Outside the Gate, the True Story of a British Home Child in Canada. Carol Marie Newell is uh, the author, and she is the granddaughter of Winnie Cooper, one of these uh, children born in the slums of England and sent to Canada to work as indentured farmers and domestics. There was the promise of opportunity, and while some managed to make a good life, a lot were abused and neglected. In Winnie's case, she was born in Scarborough, Yorkshire, and sent at 12 to Barnardo's village home for girls. Three years later, she was shipped off to a farm in rural Ontario. Carol narrates Winnie's rough life as well as uh, the starting of a family, the one Carol was born into. What Carol has yielded from Winnie's troubled life is a marvelous family history as well as insight into herself. I'll ask Carol about the impetus to write this book as well as how she went about it. Carol Newell is the mother of three and a grandmother of four. She's a graduate of the Ryerson University School of Business. Visit carolnewell.com for more information, especially on the complex socio-economic conditions in Britain and Canada that led to this immigration program, as well as resources to help others find their roots. The book is from Barlow Books. We taped uh, this interview 15 days ago with Carol joining me from her home in Muskoka Lakes District, Ontario. Please uh, welcome uh, to the Plant Online Program, Carol Newell. Ms. Newell, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Um, this is such a, a fascinating um, uh, book uh, because it, it, it uh, not only talks about, say, uh, what it was like for you growing up. I mean, it touches on that, I should say. Um, but it, it tells this remarkable story about your grandmother, Winnie. Uh, I, I consider her the heart of the book. Uh, where, where was she born? Uh, she was born in Scarborough, in Yorkshire. Um, and uh, she was there until, she was born in 1895, and she lived there until 1908 when she moved to the children's village uh, at Barkingside, which is just outside of London at that time. The, the thing that I kept wondering as I was reading the book is what did she sound like? So the, if you were talking to her, I mean, I, I, I'd hate to put you on the spot and, and, and perhaps do an impression, but, I mean, is, is you know, there a way that... Uh, I think her voice is, is still uh, in my head. She had uh, quite a high-pitched voice, and she never lost her, her Yorkshire accent. Mm. Uh, one of the things that I learned, which you probably saw when you were reading the beginning of the book, was as I was doing my research, and I discovered like two or three years into my research and my writing, that uh, she actually spoke with a, a very distinctive dialect that was... The dis- you know, pretty much it's, it's not spoken at all anymore, and there's very few people that know it now. But she would have had a very difficult time when she moved to London and that she would not have been understood. Yeah. Um, so um, on the spot, can I duplicate her accent in my head? Yes, but verbally, sure. probably not, and not do it any justice. So, so I, I used to watch a show down in Abbey. That, that took place yes. in Yorkshire. Uh, I would assume it that is. she uh, didn't so sound like the people that lived in the castle, right? People in the kitchen. Oh, in the kitchen, I see. People in the kitchen. Um, The the cook. What was her name? Anyway, cook. Mrs. Um, Patmore. Something or other. Uh, Yes. Um, She would sound quite a bit like that, although that's more of a West Yorkshire accent, so if you're actually going to be technical about it, the the Northeast Yorkshire accent is different from the West Yorkshire, but similar to our ear. I see, yeah. Um, And and it it was not a pleasant childhood, to put it mildly. No, it was not. And uh, for people who have are aware of the British child migration, and it's becoming it's becoming more um, 
more mainstream now that people are, are, are understanding about it. But but there's still an awful lot of people that have never heard of it. So um, it, it, there, as many of the children were abused and neglected and just treated very, very poorly here. And they were pretty much all, even if they, even if they ended up in good homes, they were still um, uh, vilified by the press and uh, they were just considered to be stupid, ignorant, um, diseased, you know, likely to commit crimes. And so they were not well received. They were just sort of necessary. They were a necessary commodity to provide uh, farmhands and, um, and domestic workers for, for our growing economy because there weren't enough people here to uh, farm the land. So, so this is between 1869 and 1949. Some, some 100,000 British children were brought here. Um, yes. and, and, and so when your grandmother arrives in Canada, uh, how old was she, by the way? She was 15. And what did she think of this country? Um, well, I, I'm pretty sure she probably was terribly impressed uh, for, for all of them uh, to be sent so far away. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they were children. She was separated from. She went into care with her two brothers, one older and one younger, and they would have been separated immediately because the boys and the girls went to different homes. Uh, so uh, coming here alone as a child, I mean, she was a teenager, which was at least some benefit, and she did get three years at the Children's Village, which was uh, a, a good thing for her because it was it was a very good home to be in, probably a state of the art home at that time, and that it was a village. And but there were 1,300 girls living there, but yeah. they were in individual homes with with the house mother. But yeah, as far as coming here, I, I'm going to guess it was a shock. Oftentimes, the children, their clothes that they brought with them, although they did bring a trunk, but the you know the coats were not warm enough. They didn't have boots, that sort of thing. Yeah. So growing up, yeah, I'll, I'll bet. Yeah. So growing up, did you know any of this? Say, eh? did you, she didn't talk about this? I'll bet. No, no. And you know, in my research, I, I discovered the people that I've spoken with that had family members, and there are many, many people that had family members. Obviously, at a hundred thousand children, mm-hmm. um, they didn't talk about it because uh, they didn't want to remember it, they didn't want to acknowledge it, and uh, it was even for people who lived in who never came here but but lived in the children's homes um it was it was there was a terrible shame attached to that uh it was like saying that you came from the workhouse and there was a terrible shame attached to that as well you just didn't want to admit to it because it it made you seem to be inferior and nobody wanted to be around someone in that situation i'll be jumping around a bit here carol as we we talk because there's so many things i want to ask you and 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 for for the benefit of people listening to us i don't want to give things away um when did you uh, first meet uh, whitney oh i'm pretty sure that was when i was born yeah but but <laughs> i mean my grandmother uh, in terms of um uh, say getting to know her as well as you did well, probably getting to know her would have been in the summer of 1954 which i do talk about in the book that's when she when, lived with um, you right yeah, she had a heart attack following. She had two heart attacks following the the, the death of her uh, most recent boyfriend, and um, so and nobody in the family wanted to take her in. There was an argument about it, and she came to live with us. And she had to share my bed because we had just moved to a very small place, and I had the only double bed. So Granny and I, um, we were together for that summer and, and a few months. So that was really when I. I I sort of bonded with her. We spent an awful lot of time together because we had just moved uh, to that town, and I didn't know anybody, and it was the beginning of July, and school was out. I couldn't make any friends. I was nine years old, so it was um, 
it was an adjustment, but uh, we spent a lot of time together. So I was just doing the math. I was just reading the book, and you you say this in the book that that um, uh, that, that was 1954. She was born in 1895. Um, uh, she was your grandmother, but but I mean she wasn't that old. I mean considering. Um, um, the age that she actually was, it was it 50, 58, 59? Yeah. Um, and, and, um, she seemed old to me, but yeah, I was a kid. So. Exactly, yeah. Um, what was the relationship like between y- your mother and her? Well, it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. So I had a really good relationship with, with Winnie, but um, her relationship with her children was, was, um, was variable, I would say. And she did play favorites, and that, that caused problems in the in the family. In fact, she played favorites with her grandchildren as well. I was on the lucky end of that, but everybody wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it speaks a, a lot. I mean, she she talks about um, your aunt, for example, uh, Margaret, um, th- that um, she didn't want her to be born. Um, uh, it, it, it speaks to, to I guess the things that, that Winnie did suffer as a, a child that I guess she carried on, and, and this trauma that you talk about that, that gets passed on uh, generationally. Um, one's trauma, I guess, it, it does not affect themselves, just themselves. It affects you know future generations, and and it, it does, it does. And actually, I, I I've been able to speak with a, a few people who who had family members that were home children. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and even I even spoke with one who had been a home child. And uh, the kind of, the, the gist of what I was getting from it is that many of them had trouble bonding with their own children uh, because they had not, and I think that's what happened in, in any situation where children uh, grew up not within their family. Uh, it's it's difficult to to be able to have that kind of relationship when you haven't had that exposure as a child yourself. And uh, I mentioned your your aunt Margaret. Um, how, how long, or when was it? I should say that that you got this this box of stuff from her. Um, well, the the photograph on the front of the book was taken in eighteen um, excuse me nineteen eleven, mm-hmm. just before Winnie came to Canada. So it was a hundred years later in two thousand and eleven. I was speaking on the phone with my my aunt and planning to go and visit her at Niagara on the Lake and take her to lunch the following week. And that's when she said, when you come, I'm going to give you Granny's box, which is something I had seen years before only once. And it had the last bits and pieces of her life in it, photographs, some documents, a deed to the the family cemetery, uh, a Bible, and a broken white china doorknob. Um, and I said, well, why me? Why not one of your own children? And she said, because you'll know what to do with it. Mm. So I, I didn't actually know, but I, I was flattered, and I said I would call her in a few days, and we'd decide which, what day we were going to go out, out to lunch. And we had talked a little bit during that conversation about some family issues regarding her relationship with my mother. And, of course, they had not spoken in 60 years, but my mm. mother had passed away. So... Um, Anyway, I was hoping that this conversation would shed some light on some of these family issues. But a few days later, uh, I got a phone call that she unexpectedly suffered a stroke and she passed away. So I received the box at her funeral. And so that was in um, September of uh, 2011. And I brought it home and I took everything out and I thought, what do I do with this? And then I put it away and I thought about it. And then I just sat down and started to write, and I didn't know what I was doing, but um, I, I just wrote, and I just kept writing, and I kept getting editors to review it for me, and finally, after 10 years, I had a book. 
And and that, that's the thing. The uh, is talking about trauma and and these things that, that one carries with them and, and it affects other people. You you alluded to this feud between her, your aunt Margaret, and your mother. Um, that certainly, um, I would assume, uh, you know, might have come from something that that. Um, well, I guess the relations with, with Whitney perhaps might have influenced that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, she, it, Margaret was the favorite. There was no mm. doubt about that. So there was, and there were other issues that sort of compounded it. I think when you have that sort of situation in the family, things sort of pile up, you know, and then there's one big blow up, which it was an unfortunate situation. And then um, everybody's too stubborn to, uh, to, you know, get over it. Yeah. What's fascinating about this box is it, it, it yields marvelous clues for you, and, and we see throughout the book how pieces in the box, um, say, uh, trigger something in terms of memory or, or uh, say, say, a path to go down um, in your investigation, in, in, in your writing. Um, in terms of, say, understanding everything in the box, uh, 11 years now, hence, um, uh, does everything have meaning, if you will? It does. Now, it, it all makes sense now, but uh, when I got the box, none of it made any sense at all. Um, so it was uh, it was a journey, and uh, it's something I wouldn't have been able to do like 25 years ago without yeah. ancestry and the internet and the, the and the access to uh, census documents and the easy access to libraries without having to travel, you know, long distances to. To, to you know go through things by hand um, that that made it possible for me and anybody I guess who wanted to to research uh, a family story yeah. um, the information is out there it, it just takes some time and the other thing is too that as I as I went through and information was sort of dropping my lap at the times that I needed it but I also started to remember a lot of things that stories that my mother had told me and uh, and you know things that I had picked up from Winnie too. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing. If one asks one, you know, somebody about um, their past, they, they might not be able to um, say um, say anything about it. But then, um, you know, there's all these little trigger points that, that you know it takes you back to childhood. These these conversations that, that come into your head right away, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and and looking back, um, especially when you're sort of in in my generation, looking that far back into your childhood, um, it, it it stirred up a lot of, of memories for me, happy memories, yeah. and uh, um, primarily. But I, of course, as an as an adult now, an older adult, I do understand better uh, the conflict, which I'm sure all families have conflict, as I say that in the book. Uh, all families have conflict, and all families have differences, and, and most of them have skeletons in the closet somewhere. So, yeah, indeed. Um, and, I, and I found a couple of those. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot in the book that, that's painful, that, that's personal. Um, but as you write near the beginning of the book, that, that um, learning about your grandmother's life, you came to know more about yourself. Well, and you know, when I started to write this book, um, I was very adamant to myself that I wanted the story to be Winnie's story. I did not want to be in the book at all. I just wanted to be her story. Yeah. But it's I, my own feelings and my own experiences in searching out the story and my own uh, remembrances of, um, of our relationship when I was a child, they just kept getting in the way. And because I didn't know how to write a book, and I was fortunate to be able to find uh, editors who could guide me 
And uh, so when I would write something about my own experience and the feedback I was getting from them was, well, we like that, like write more about that. So that's how I ended up with six chapters from 1954 and also the chapters where I'm writing about my own discovery of, of her life and what, what I had to do to figure out what had happened to her. And I think that I got, you know, I, I, I'm happy that I got most of the information that I should have had. The, the one thing that was really holding me back for a long time is that I didn't know what happened in Wales. I just knew they had gone to Wales. Uh-huh. I couldn't figure out why because it's on the other side of the country from Scarborough. Yeah. But uh, when when I found my cousin in Wales through Facebook, cousin I didn't know I had, she knew everything that had happened in Wales even though she hadn't been born. But mm. again, the women in our family you know, told their daughters the things that went on um, years and years ago. So she knew the story about what happened in Wales. So that was really the final thing for me, that I knew that I had all the information that I needed. And that's the thing. I mean, you mentioned that in the acknowledgments that you, you, you met this this relative on Facebook, and then you got to spend time with, with, with them, right? Yeah, I did. Well, when I found her... Um, the only clue that I had about where the brothers were was from the only thing that Bernardus would tell me, mm-hmm. because I was not a direct descendant, was that in 1921, they lived in Abbotsford, Wales. And so that's like 100 years ago, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, would anybody still be there? But I did find that that tiny town, it's a coal mining town, had a Facebook page. And so I went on several times and just said who I was and who I was looking for, and um, so my cousin Myra, who was 92 at the time, um, she had received an iPad for Christmas because she was living alone and her family wanted to be able to FaceTime her all the time. Yeah. And um, so she saw she saw it. And going back to what we said before, she did her her father, who was Winnie's brother, younger brother, yeah. never told her that he was a home child because he was too ashamed. Mm. And she didn't find out until after he died when she found a letter from Bernardo's, but she didn't tell her own children. And I said, well, why wouldn't you tell them? And she said, you don't understand the shame associated with, I couldn't tell them that their grandfather had been a home child. It was too, it was just too troubling. So she's now, she said, this month she's turning 97. And uh, so in the spring, I'm going to see her in Wales. Uh, that's great. It's a great story because, I mean, it, it really, I mean, the people closest to you, sometimes you can't tell them the things that you need to tell them. And and sometimes you need to find somebody. Um, and, and, you know, she's so lucky that she found you and, you know, you were able to piece your, your family story together. And, and um, Well, and there was so much that she didn't know. And she had she yeah. had fun in Canada. And when she would come here, they would always try to find the family cemetery, but mm. they weren't looking in the right place. And so that was one of the highlights when she did come here in, in uh, four years ago when I found her, five years ago, whatever that was now. Yeah. And she came here for three and a half months. So we got to spend a lot of time together, and I was able to take her up to Erin Township and to the family cemetery so she could see. Um, that seemed to be really important to her. So, yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was closure for her. And, and it was closure for me as well uh, to find her because she's delightful and um we, we we keep in touch like every couple of weeks we FaceTime. It it, um, uh, it it's such a gift. I would not not just for you, but I mean I'm sure your fa- your own family, your own your your own kids and, and grandkids even um, t- to be able to have this sort of family history. I'm, I'm sure 
um, younger relations may not may, may not uh, even read the book right now, but I mean we'll find it incredibly useful years from now. I hope so. Uh, I mean, I wrote it for my children and for my family, but I also wrote it for all the families that have um, a home child uh, in their in their ancestry because they they don't necessarily know. It's not easy to find information about yeah. your family member, and as I say, it took me it was ten years of research. Uh, but it is there. It's, and, I mean, everybody can't write either, although yeah. I couldn't write when I started. But I have to learn. Yeah, well, you've done, you've done a marvelous job at it. Um, you, you talk in the book about going to places um, here that that, that, um, that that Winnie had, say, grown up in and, and the sort, and, and places in England even. Um, and, and you talk about this connection that you immediately felt um, being yeah, at some of these what? places. I, I think... Even if you're writing a, a novel, I think if it's, if it's location influenced, you need to go there. You need to stand on that ground. But particularly being this family story, um, to be able to go to the children's village, which is still there in London, parts of it, uh, most of the houses have been sold off and they built, you know, um, council housing mm-hmm. on the property. But some of the original houses are there, and they're being reconstructed into, at that time anyway, into seniors' homes. Uh, the church is still there, and um, uh, a number of other buildings, plus they have, Bernardo's has their head office there and their archives. Uh, so I went there and met with the senior archivist uh, and took Winnie's file, which anybody who has a home child in their family uh, can apply to Bernardo's to get the, their child's um, their ancestors filed mm-hmm. and even if the that person didn't come to bernardo's most of these organizations have closed and they've all given their whatever documents they I had see. they've turned over yeah. to bernardo's so standing in that property the weather was horrible um it was it was very very moving and even um you know for me now to go up to Erin township and uh the farm where they live and of course that that the old house is gone but just to be able to stand there and look at the field, <laughs> it yeah. just has a it has a vibration for me that uh, I, I think it helps me a lot with writing the story. Throughout your book, Carol, you have you have a number of letters that have been written, and and you you uh, provide extracts of those in the book. Um, what, what do you think that says about because um, they reveal a lot about about um, the people that are that, that wrote them, Winnie, of course, who wrote them, and and and. Um, the people that she depicts. Um, it's a different generation altogether in terms of letter writing. I mean, we can write emails to one another, but they're not really the same, are they? No, I think people don't express themselves in emails the way they did in letters, and uh, she was an expressive person. Now, to, you know, just to be clear, the letters, uh, I, that was, this is a creative nonfiction no, book. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, the letters that Winnie wrote are actually, it, it, that was a technique that I used to let her speak in the first person. Yeah. Um, some of the letters in the book um, are real, uh, but the ones that Winnie wrote are, are fictional. Yeah, and it was really her, a way for her to tell her story and talk to her mother. Yeah, I found them sort of, um, uh, they're certainly informed by her. And, and so, yeah, it, it is a way to, to hear from her. Um, but um, I, I would, I mean, I would think it, it, it's almost accurate, if you will, in terms of what she might have said. 
Well, yeah, and uh, and knowing her as I did, and uh, I I I just could I could imagine this. But, yeah. And it's a, it's a process, you know. I discovered writing a book as a process. Uh, I I probably wrote a million words in writing this book, which is now about seventy thousand words. Mm. But because I would just keep writing over and over and over, and as I wrote, I I would learn and I would see things differently, and I would hear her voice, and um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I I think I've got it. I I think I got the way she would have spoken. Have, have you been hearing from other, uh, say, descendants of of home children? Oh, all kinds of them. I I've been I've been making a number of presentations and uh, um, various places like at Muskoka Chautauqua, which uh, was it runs for ten days in Windermere, Ontario. I was there for ten days, and that was great. That sort of got me. Um, I got me feeling comfortable with talking about the book and everywhere I go and talk about it there's somebody there at least one person who had a family member who was a Bernardo child typically in Ontario there were a lot of Bernardo children so out west where yeah. you are there was uh, the Middlemore homes on, mm. on um, Vancouver Island right um, but and I, I don't know how many children they brought the Bernardos brought the most something like 40,000 I think came mm. with Bernardos so in the children's village, they would have like 16 to 20 girls in a home, but they would turn over six to eight girls each year that they would come. Usually they would send two, um, two ships a year with girls and boys coming to Canada, and the girls would go to a receiving home called Hazelbray in Peterborough, and the boys would go to uh, uh, the receiving home in Toronto, and they would then all be distributed through there. And there were children that came that were as young as three years old, and they were typically put into foster care, but typically, um, once they reached age 10, they were sent out to work. Um, typically, early on in particular, they were not allowed to adopt those children. I, I think later some of them did, but um, they pretty much were here to work. It was a, They were a commodity. Yeah. There's a marvelous scene in the book, though, um, uh, with uh, Winnie and uh, the Queen Mother, Queen, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mother, um, and uh, I want to ask about that, but I, I mean, if, if I ask, some of it might be giving away stuff. But I mean, I, th- I thought it was just a lovely scene in the book, um, and it accompanies a photograph that appeared in the in the in the in the press of the day. Is that right? Yes, um, and it was uh, it was uh, various shots from that photographer. Um, he took six or eight photographs, and they appeared in a number of newspapers in Ontario and, and even in Ottawa, Toronto, St. Catharines, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Ottawa, um, and with a headline that, uh, that words that Winnie had said, she's as beautiful as ever when the, when the journalist came to speak with her afterwards because they talked for quite a while yeah. um, because they were close in age um, and Winnie was five years older. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a highlight for her for sure. It was her 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Carol, um, I don't know. I hate, I hate to ask this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, how do you think relations that are no longer with us, Winnie especially, um, how do you think they think about this book? That's a good question. You know, nobody's ever asked me that before. I don't think Winnie would have a problem with me talking about her, her personal life. She didn't really, uh, she didn't care what people thought. I, I, my feeling was that um, she would have been okay with it. Yeah. Um, Your I'm mom? Sure my mom? I don't know if my mother would have been happy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure, but she wasn't here for me to ask permission, so I just went with my gut. 
And I had been given a task. I mean, if somebody yeah. says, mm-hmm. you'll know what to do with it, and then a week later, less than a week later, she passes away unexpectedly, I kind of felt a responsibility. Indeed, indeed. Um, so many, I mean, there are so many questions that I'm sure you'd want to ask your mother if you had the chance. Um, questions that you'd ask Winnie, obviously. Questions that you'd ask Margaret. I mean, there really is something urgent about um, the people in our lives, especially ones that are older, that, that we need to, say, get on, if you will, as, as, as one gets older themselves, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because, you know, every, every, every family has stories. I mean, Winnie was really just an ordinary woman, and um, but sometimes the ordinary stories are the most interesting. And, I, I, you know, I do say in the book that, that uh, walking around Connie's Cemetery and, and looking at the, the familiar names and realizing that all of those people had stories. They all knew each other. They all had their own life, their own story. It just takes somebody to do the work and find out what it is. Yeah. I, I like stories about ordinary people. I mean, there's lots of stories about extraordinary people, and that's important too. But, but we all have we all have stories, and women's stories I just find to be very interesting. Yeah, and it says something about um, one's own life, if you will. And it is, as you said in the in the early part of the book, uh, you came to know more about yourself, and, and certainly about your mother, and, and how things turn out, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, at the beginning of the book, too, I'm sort of, I'm looking back because it was the, it was the year, uh, that particular scene when my husband and I were celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. And it's a time that you sort of, you know, you look back and you think, you know, did I make all the right decisions along the way? Could I have done things differently? Could I have done things, could I have been a better parent? You know, could I have been a better daughter? All of those things you question yourself, uh, as you get older. And, um, and you have to sort of uh, come to terms with them mm-hmm. and realize, you know, I, it's a, I think most of us just do the best we can, and um, some things turn out well and others not so well, but uh, you can't dwell on that. Are you working on other writing now? I am, yes. I am actually I'm writing a novel about, uh, about a woman uh, who is living in a retirement home, who should been put in a retirement home by her daughter to keep her safe. Um, but she's not happy about this, and she's um, she's given it a good old try, but now she's trying to find some way that she can leave um, without giving anything more away. That's part of what I have in mind. Uh, I've, you know, I've, I've sort of half-finished that book. So you mentioned that this is your first book, um, and, and you didn't know how to write, if you will. Um, Writing is, is is a lot of work for for a lot of people. Did, 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 were you able to find some fun in it though? Oh, absolutely. Um, it was it was um, it was a journey, but it was a it was a pleasant journey. Uh, just every time I found something new, it was like another hallelujah moment. And on top of that, I found that um, I can be totally immersed, like, be, like mindful when I'm writing. It's it's uh, it's relaxing. It's um, it's rewarding. Uh, it's my therapy. So that's why I want to keep writing more books because uh, I, I if, you know, if I can't sleep, I can get up in the middle of the night and, and write. Oftentimes I'm creative at odd hours. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing is that I know a lot of people who write. They write, they write notes. They keep detailed notes. They have sticky notes. Yeah. They have them all over the place. Um, but when something comes to me, it stays in my head, and it might not pop back up again until I get to that part of what I'm writing, and then I remember it. 
Yeah, well, long may it continue. I'm outside the gate is a mar- marvelous book. It's a compelling one at that. Congratulations on it and continued good uh, good luck with it, Carol. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for this. Thank you, Joe, and thank you very much for having me on. The website for more is at carolnewell.com. The book is called Outside the Gate, The True Story of a British Home Child in Canada. It's uh, published by Barlow Books. It's author Carol Marie Newell. Join me on the line from Muskoka Lakes District, Ontario, in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plantov.